This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Well, I, I, I think the beauty of spine is it's a relatively smaller universe of physicians. You know, four to five thousand, maybe six to seven thousand when you combine, combine orthopedic spine with neurosurgeons that really do spine. So we're looking at five to seven thousand physicians. General orthopedics is twenty-five to thirty thousand. It, 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 there's gastroenterologists, thirteen to fourteen thousand. Ophthalmologists is a lot more. The, the beauty of the spine community is, as you know, everybody knows each other. So it, all, all the spine surgeons know each other. So, you know, God, was it Dr. Dunch? Was it Dr. Death, et cetera, et cetera? I've got the right name, don't I? Yeah. Yes, you do. Yes. And so it, I, I don't want to get in trouble, but like everybody knew him. Everybody knew him. And so everybody sort of, by the time it all sort of came out and stuff like that, people were like, oh my God, I know him. Everybody knows him. And, and, and the thing about spine is you've got very entrepreneurial, very bright. You know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a field with, and we talked about this at the last meeting. It's a field with a lot of mentorship, um, with a lot of research, with a lot of academic focus. You've got people that are in in some ways, you know, you see it in orthopedics in the orthopedic community too, where certain people are quite brand conscious of of building the brand. I did this on this athlete. I did that on that athlete. And there's a there's a decent amount of ego, so you've got this mix of ego, entrepreneurialism, extremely bright and gifted people, uh, and you've got this mix of also, there's not huge neurosurgery and spine groups really compared to the size of orthopedic groups, and you do have in spine a lot of mavericks as well, and, and, and not bad, not bad in a positive way. But you got people that are really bright on the cutting edge. It's a small community. Everybody knows each other. And I think that's why when you have niche areas like that, it's easy for people to follow. They know the names. They know the people. All you guys, women and men, know each other. You know, there's, there's people like Dr. Phillips as an example who I've got to know well over the years, over a long period of time. But there's so many people that have come through different – the Rush program. You're at University of Miami. That's also developed this, this incredible reputation for people coming out of that program. There's a lot of that in spine where people all come out of different family trees and really know each other really well. So I think it's not so much that it, – it, it, it's more about not so much what we do, but it's more about that you folks at the end of the day have a fairly close-knit community. And, and so it's, it's, it's you know easy for people to connect within it. That's sort of how I view it, Dr. Wang. Now, I think that, um, well, if, you, if you'll permit me, I'm going to try to read into your character a little bit, because I think that hearing you describe the community of spine surgeons, you're, you could easily be describing yourself, because here you are, you're a successful attorney, Harvard Law School, you talk about spine surgeons being entrepreneurial, building a brand, and, and you found this publication group. So one could describe you and your practice of law, and now as a a media mogul within medicine and spine surgery as kind of a, a spine guy of law or a spine guy of publishing. So one of the interesting things, as you say, this small community of spine surgeons is that there are different types within the field and everyone has their own sort of little organically developed practice, but there are these patterns that you see. There's the academic spine guy, the outpatient uh, ambulatory center spine guy, the typical private practice model. And so I wonder in what we could say is your practice, Scott, your day-to-day, you have these different hats where you're a partner at uh, your law firm, you 
run uh, Becker Healthcare Publications. What What's a typical day like for you and how much time are you spending with these various roles that you've constructed for yourself? Sure. No, it's, it's a great question. The other thing, I'm going I'm to take myself back one second on the spine side as well. One of the things that happened in spine is one of our best editor writer leaders is a woman named Laura Deirda. And, and we were fortunate, and Laura's an editor-in-chief now of the entire publication team, but she spent a tremendous amount of time in spine. And, and one of the benefits of that was when you have great editor leaders, it's not just that they're great writers and could cover what's relevant quickly. She also did a tremendous job of building bridges and connections within the community. So I would go to speak at meetings in the spine area and people would say, oh, I just talked to Laura. I just talked to Laura. And so there's also people within our team that made a difference in our growth in the spine area. So, so to your question, I spend my time sort of back and forth between, you know, and, and again, I've been at this 30 plus years now, back and forth between dealing with a few of my colleagues at the law firm who are very closely connected to some core clients that I work with and core business I work with there. So I probably spend some time every day talking to a handful of colleagues at the law firm, handful of potential clients and so forth. I don't really practice law in the hard care core way that I did 10, 20 years ago. You know, you know, um, I, then I, every day I do a number of podcasts. So today did two podcasts straight in the business sector and then six podcasts where I was interviewing different people in sort of the healthcare business world. Um, you know, typically physician leaders, health system leaders, you know, one was the president of one of the regions of Intermountain Healthcare. One was the chief medical officer at Wake Forest Baptist today, but I had six of those today. So a lot of interacting with people in the different communities in healthcare as well. You know, and then spend some time every morning. I'll review a little bit of what's going out under Becker's Healthcare, although it's gotten much bigger today where I can't review everything like I did at one time. Uh, so I do a little mm -hmm. bit out in the morning, the people that send me the key newsletter so I can see what's going on. You know, a long time ago, we moved towards short form journalism. Most mornings I wake up and I do a 10, 15 point LinkedIn post on what I see is going on in the key business trends in the world. And that, that I do each morning. It keeps me fresh, keeps me sharp. Um, so that's sort of the the mix of the day. And then as obviously as, you know, not to, not to um, harp on this, but as I aged, a bigger and bigger focus on constant effort towards physical and mental health. So, you know, four or five different business types of things and then physical and mental health things every day. And that's sort of what the day looks like. There was, there was a spine surgeon in, um, in, in Chicago, uh, Dr. Patel, Dr. Alpesh Patel. I don't know if you gentlemen know Dr. Patel. He's at Northwestern, a brilliant spine surgeon. And he'd always grown up in a family where his parents had said to him, now I know you're a spine surgeon, but what else are you doing? And I think there are so many spine surgeons and lawyers as well. Like it was never in my household just being a lawyer. It was being a lawyer and becoming very good at being a lawyer. And then also at some point, what else are you doing besides just being a lawyer? And I think many spine surgeons are like that as well. I mean, the two of you are great examples of that. And there's so many that I see that if they just do spine surgery for 40 years straight and don't pursue some of the other interests they have, whether they're entrepreneurial ones, research ones, speaking ones, podcasting, whatever it is, it's a prescription for burnout. So I think, you know, I, I think, Dr. Wang, you help run the fellowship program. That probably keeps it far more interesting than just doing spine surgery every day. Spine surgery is very important and a core of what you do, 
But then doing these other things is probably what makes it interesting and vibrant. And I, and I view it very much the same way with myself. Yeah, you know, there's always a lot of drama with a lot of young people around you. Very exciting, keeps you young. Um, so, you know, I, I really enjoy your commentary. And I got to tell you, I, I, I read all of your emails. Every email I receive from uh, Becker's Healthcare, Becker's ASC, or Becker's Spine, I immediately open and I try to get to the links because I, I learned something new. And so I want to thank you for keeping your finger on the pulse of our field so that we can all stay better informed. But you do stand alone in this era and this arena. And I think only person I can think of, and I don't know if you're close friends or not, is this guy Robin Young who does orthopedics this week, right? I think just the two of you are, are and I, I think Robin's operations, I want to say is a little smaller than yours, a little more narrow. How, how would you say that your operations differ from his? Because I find him quite interesting as well. Very dynamic, just like you. He's a little bit older, I think, too. Yeah, I don't, I don't, Robin is a brilliant guy. What I, what I love about Robin is, Robin came at this not too different than I did. We were both sort of in different fields, you know, in, in that we weren't journalists to begin with. We, we weren't, you know, when I started a, a media company, I was not a media person. When Robin started what he was doing, he was not a media person. He was a business guy, a, a banker, a finance guy, and a brilliant guy. I mean, Robin's actually a brilliant guy and a good guy. And, and I think one of the things that I love about Robin is he comes to it not with the notion of being a, a traditional media person, but somebody who really knew the business and, and likes to convey that. So I, I think, you know, Robin's really built a niche area with orthopedics this week and following the device stuff and everything else. And he's just a really good guy and a really bright, bright guy. I had the, I had the beauty of when I was um, younger, I had a, a mentor in some of the readings I did, you know, from a few different places, really put me into the context of, you know, you hear about all these icon iconoclastic entrepreneurs, but the reality is nobody does anything without building great teams. And and one of the things that we did early on, I had a great mentor at my law firm, I had a great mentor at another law firm, this brilliant guy, Jerry Peters at Latham, which is a great, well-respected law firm. And each of the each one of them, plus the book Jim Collins, Good to Great, and I I know I'm segueing a little bit, but it's but it's on point. I, I think if there's a difference is we ended up building a very large team at the law firm. So we were able to work with lots of great clients. And we ended up building a fantastic team at Becker's Healthcare, led really by a particular woman as CEO. The CEO today of Becker's Healthcare is a woman named Jessica Cole, who joined me 20 years ago. But she just has been magnificent. And it's allowed, she's run the commercial side of the business. She's really grown the business. She's done an amazing job. And we've got 100 employees at Becker's Healthcare, and it's allowed me to do so many of the things I love doing, which is connecting with people like yourselves. So it, it's allowed me that freedom to do that. I, I don't know what Team Robin has built. I don't know. The big difference between myself and a lot of other people is I really did buy into this concept of everything's about great, talented people and building great teams. Robin himself is an absolutely brilliant person, and, and I love his work. And I think he's just as a brilliant person, and, and I, I'm a huge fan of his. So hearing you talk about how, how you came into this world, how you built your team and, and built the machine that is now Becker's Healthcare, and, and also hearing you talk about what drew you personally and I guess somewhat fortuitously drew you and your team 
to spine as a particular clinical focus of yours. I wonder if you think this model and what you've done would work in neurosurgery writ large. To your knowledge, is, is anyone out there trying to start up something like Becker's spine for cranial neurosurgery for stroke or tumor or things like that? Or do you think there is something unique about the world of spine that really makes the market for someone with you that had the interest? You know, it's it's a great question. We look at it as though, I mean, the biggest part of our business today is by far the hospital and health system business. The part of the business that I'm the closest to, it, it's not necessarily the most profitable part of our business or the biggest revenue part of our business, just not. But the part of the business that I'm closest to is the spine part of the business because the people that I talk to and visit with are, are just they're professionals like myself that are also doing interesting things. And so it just it's very easy for me to to love and embrace the people I work with because they're you know, it's, it's not too different. I mean, it's not, I mean, I'm obviously not a spine surgeon, but I'm a Harvard lawyer by background. And then I separately had this media business and it's, it just is, I, I find the people to be a pleasure and just not that they're very easy for me to connect with and find similarities with the, um, you know, you know, what, what, you know, like, so I've been at this for 30 years, but I wasn't a media person to begin with probably about 10 years ago, somebody, you know, an outsider said to me, oh, you're a business-to-business -business media company. And of course, at the time somebody said that to me, it was probably eight years ago, I had no idea what a business-to-business -business media company is. But now, of course, mm. that I've been in the media business forever, I do know what a business-to-business -business media company is. You know, it's it's the, the business would be a, a big company selling into a big health system, so you got one business selling into another business. And as opposed to a business-to-consumer magazine, like, like Condé Nast would be business to consumer, meaning a business is selling it to consumers or reading Condé Nast or whatever they're reading. But so, so when, when I look at this and, and as I've gotten to understand the media landscape, the media business, which of course I grew into and I grew incrementally knowledge about it, you find that there's, there's media businesses around everything under the sun. You know, literally everything. I mean, so if, is there, if there's, there's somebody doing some kind of newsletter around you know, something, you know, some of them are more clinical in nature, some of them are business in nature. It, and the, the issue that we always look at in investigating niches is, can you win in the niche? Meaning, can you compete well in it? Meaning, be useful and people will read you and find it interesting. And then is it a niche worth winning in? Meaning, is there enough money spent in that niche that, that there's a market for it? And, and it's those two things that we always look at in evaluating niches. And so there are niches that are fantastic but nobody's spending money to reach the audience. There's other niches that are fantastic, but they're so competitive you wouldn't want to touch them just because, you know, it's not – or you can't define it nearly enough. But we really look at those two things. So really for any area, any area usually has some kind of trade publication, some kind of media publication, some kind of something. And it's a matter of how deep it is. You know, we, we a long time ago decided that we didn't want to be in 20 different areas, and we did – me and my partner, Jessica Cole – a long time ago now, put together an initial business plan. This goes back 20 years ago when we first really started to grow the business versus from the, you know, very small professional thought leadership we had. And we didn't want to be in 20 different areas. Rather, we wanted to be deep in several of them. And, and we think, and that goes, you know, there, there's a couple different main consoles we work with. For my generation, Dr. Wing, maybe your generation too, Jack Welch was, was a 
big thinker in his concept was whatever area you're going to be in, you got to be first or second in because in good times you did well and bad times you survived, but you had to be first or second in that market. And we very much view that. And, and then the second big influence of my thinking was good to great Jim Collins of building teams. Everything's about building teams. But so we looked at it. So when you talk about tumor, cranial, other areas, there's probably trade publications or, or clinical publications and all those things. It's a matter of how deep they are and how, how much they choose to try and win in the area. And there are enough people spending in the area, meaning advertisers, sponsors, exhibitors, to make it an economically viable area. Well, Scott, I, I think that JP and I um, would like to think that our listenership is highly educated and, and very intelligent, and I suspect that your readership is similar in profile. And so, you know, with that in mind, you know, folks are very thirsty for information, right? So you're providing this fantastic service to provide information, but maybe the only thing they're more thirsty for is entertainment. And, um, you know, this concept of schadenfreude, right, is, is so deep and one of the uh one of the dark pleasures of course is reading Becker's and hearing about the latest, you know, whatever gossip is happening in our field or in the industry. And you don't have to go very far into your your publications to see that you keep us up to date on a lot of the very interesting, exciting and uh sometimes perverse uh behaviors and actions of our colleagues. So I with that in mind, I want you to help me out with this because you've been in this business for, as you said, multiple decades, and you've seen every stripe of, uh, of failure. What do you think are the biggest mistakes that surgeons, specifically spine surgeons, are making or make, um, you know, that make it to your pages? Because to me, it's just so fascinating. I mean, you know, being a spine surgeon, you're like, you've got everything, right? There's nothing, you're, you're wanting for nothing in this world, yet uh, people still manage to really screw it up. Yeah, so we try hard, and and it's it's I'm I'm um, oh my goodness, we've we've been teaching entertainment in a different way. So our conferences always have huge keynote speakers to go with, lots of business sessions because we want people to teach and entertain. The, the thing that we see is obviously you know you know there's simple things that people do. They do what our nation's doing right now, they over-binge on debt in building any kind of project. And too much debt leaves you anti-fragile, leaves you in, in trouble. Um, obviously, we're, we're hugely anti-fragile people and believe in trying to go as easy on debt as possible. We see people do that. We see people, of course, and you've seen this, and there's a great book on this by Peter Atia today on Outlive, this concept of, you know, health span versus lifespan we see people so busy in their careers that they don't take care of themselves physically and mentally and then they'd have been trouble over time obviously plenty of people make plenty of the lifelong mistakes that all of us can make in our personal lives and our professional lives and so forth you know one of the things i've done the last several years is i teach high school tennis in the spring and the first time i had a match one of the older coaches said to me, well, you have to give the speech. And I had no idea what he was talking about, the speech that you give at the start of a match. And the real speech is that you're supposed to, you know, if you throw your racket, you swear, you call bad lines, you're going to get a point penalty. You do it a couple times, you're going to lose a game. You do it a third time, you get kicked out of the match. 
And, and we would jokingly say that when I first gave the speech, I said, well, you know, you'll probably mess some things up. You'll probably get divorced at some point. You'll probably <laughs> screw this up or screw that up and stuff like that. You know, we would joke, no, not that speech, you know, the speech about, you know, point penalties and stuff like that. And so, you know, the, 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 uh, the spine surgeons are like every other human. They do things that are like, I mean, obviously the thing with the Dr. Death things outrageous and that's a different category. You know, the typical things are, are the typical things that, you know, it's often, it's been a male dominated field. So some of the things you have that happen are male-dominated mistakes, you know, like people that sexually harass or abuse. But, you know, I mean, a lot of the things are just like just good common sense and trying to, uh, to you know, to not, you know, I mean, you know, you know, I mean, all of us, I mean, you know, anybody who says that they're perfect is lying, you know, and, and I don't think the neurosurgeons are any different than anybody else's spine surgeons. You know, they're probably alpha people to begin with, which means their mistakes may be bigger because they're aggressive and, and you know, busy, provocative people. But, you know, but I don't I don't know. Um, you know, we try not to, you know, I, I hear you on the schadenfreude thing. It tr we try not to make that our daily diet. We try to be concise, short. We try and report on, yes, it was this case. Yes, it was that case. I'll tell you, tell you what's so funny is. A long time ago, we used to do things like, you know, here's 100 great physicians, or here's 100 best these physicians, those physicians. And years and years ago, this goes back a long time ago, we still might do physicians to know, but we will never call a doctor a best physician or this physician or that physician, unless it's a really short list of people that, that we know happen to be great in their field. And the reason we don't do it is nobody can do the research to tell you seriously whether these hundred physicians on this list are great or not great. You, you follow me? So we try and stay out of that very much so. I mean, we just don't do it. We, we did it one time. And what would happen is somebody would say, well, you put that guy in your list, but he's been sued for malpractice 12 times. Like, oh, that's embarrassing, you know. Well, I think we can all agree that uh, Chris Dunch would have been kicked out of your tennis match. But um, typically now, you know, getting to the end of the conversation, I would ask some highfalutin philosophical question about the future of medicine, where is spine surgery going, and ask you to be like Nostradamus and tell us what to do in the next 10 years and how to make money and do the best things for our patients. But I think I'm going to take Dr. Wang's lead and I'm going to lean into the entertainment side of things here. So Scott, before we wrap this up, I wonder if looking back on your whole career in the media of medicine, if you will, do you have any favorite stories, any any stories that you're the proudest of that you published? Or I think the juicier answer would be, is there anything that you learned and you sat on? Do you recall any stories of maybe spine surgeons that you couldn't bring yourself to publish, but maybe today leaving out names and details, you could you could give us the gist of it? Yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a great question. You know, I, I don't I don't know that there's um, you know, over the years, I mean, there's so much of it that we've that we've loved. I mean, and and we there's so many different pieces of it, and so many different people that we've had a chance to visit that we just absolutely loved visiting with. You know, the the spine community I think is about as interesting a community as any community. The other community that's fascinating in, in a very distinct way, 
lot of positives, lots, lots of negatives is the pain management community and a whole different set of issues that have flown through the pain management community over the years. Um, you know, it, are there stories that we've said and that we haven't published? I mean, there's a million different things that we've seen and happened over the years. We have what we call at Becker's Healthcare an immediate retraction policy. So we, we a, a long time ago decided we're not the New York Times. We're not doing investigative journalism. We're not trying to ruin people's lives. It's just not what we do. We will cover stories that are already out there, but we're, we're not going to be the original source and mm. somebody's sexual abuse allegations, something like that. We're just not. And, and we do have what's, you know, what we call an immediate retraction policy that, that somebody calls us and complains about something or is going to sue us over something. We retract it without admitting right or wrong and just uh, trying to avoid litigation, trying to avoid that kind of stuff. So we don't try and be we, – we're not trying to – you know, it, 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 if somebody's been reported on and they've – you know, our, our people pick up everything or they try to. If somebody's been reported on and they've been sued or they've had this or they've had that happen, we'll cover it. But we're not trying to – we're just not trying to harm people's careers. It's just not, it's just not our thing. You know, there, there's there's doctors, you know, like in any specialty, there's there's lawyers that shouldn't be practicing. There's doctors that shouldn't be practicing. It's ultimately a small percentage of them. But, you know, I, I remember a doctor at one point that had been soon for malpractice so many times that you wouldn't want him operating on your on your dog, you know. And but we don't we don't need to publish that. It's not our job to publish that. You know, it's not like, you know, we're not trying to like it's not our it's not our business, really. You know, I've been in hospital boardrooms, very small hospitals, where nobody on the board would take their family to that hospital. Wow. You know, those are hospitals that shouldn't be in, that shouldn't be a business. But we don't we don't really view it as our our job is to, you know, teach, entertain, provide concise business news, concise useful things, directional stuff, so people can take a quick look at it, get a sense of, you know, this trend on preauthorization is really going poorly. My God, somehow or another, these pairs got so much power. My goodness, here's how the spine practice manufacturers have got us through this crisis, you know. But but we're not we're not our business is not trying to, it's just not trying to ruin guys' careers. You know, there, there are spine surgeons that have more recently, or orthopedic surgeons, more recently been sued by pro athletes who say they've had all these damages because you know they would have been the star of this, the star of that, and we think that's a horrible trend, and we're not looking to overcover it. We might have to cover it. But we're not going to overcover it. Usually, there's surgeons that have done great work that are, you know, being screwed with by plaintiffs' attorneys. We're not, we're not trying to shed any more any more light on that really than there has to be, other than instructive to people. Do you really want to take on pro athletes, even though it's great for your credentials, if the person's going to sue you for 100 million bucks? Got it. Well, Scott Becker, what a tour de force walk through your career, all of your current activities in publication and otherwise. Uh, Becker of Beckers, if you will, um, attorney, media mogul, thought leader, such an honor and a privilege for you to give us this much of your time and to be able to have this conversation wide ranging, covering everything from gossip to international health care. Um, we have to have you back on the show at some point, whenever you can spare us the time for all of our young listeners and uh, some who are uninitiated or partially initiated into the, the profession, we will certainly link to all of your various outlets. But for now, thank you so much for joining us on the Neurosurgery Podcast. Oh, oh, thank you, folks, so much. What an honor to join you, folks. Thank you very, very much. Disclaimer time. 
The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.